0: Our gospel reading this morning comes to us from the gospel of Luke, beginning in the 16th chapter, verse 1, the parable of the dishonest steward. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes." Whoever is faithful in a very little is a very faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with a dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you go with me to God in prayer? Almighty and loving one, I pray this day that the words of my mouth, as well as the thoughts in each one of our minds, will be acceptable in your sight. You, O God, you who are indeed our rock and our redeemer, amen. Let me tell you a story about a man caught stealing. He was sent to the king to be hanged. And on the way to the gallows, clever fellow that he was, he said to the governor that he knew a wonderful secret and it would be a pity for him to die without sharing it, especially sharing it with the king. He said that he could put a seed in the ground And through a secret his father had shared with him, it would grow and bear fruit overnight. The thief was brought to the king, and together with several other high officials, they went outside into the courtyard. The thief dug a hole, and then he said, This seed must only be put into the ground by a person. Who was never stolen or taken anything that did not belong to him or her. As a thief, I cannot do it. The governor began to confess that in his younger days, he had retained something that didn't belong to him. The treasurer of the kingdom began to demur. Well, you see, I deal with such large sums. I, I might have... Just inadvertently kept more for myself than I should have. The king said that he had kept a necklace of his father's when he knew that he should have returned it. No one, not one person came forward to plant the seed. No one. The thief then spoke. You are almighty and powerful And want for nothing. And yet, you cannot plant the seed. I am poor. And I've only stolen to feed my family. And I am to be hanged. The king was pleased with the ruse and pardoned the thief on the spot. Jesus told a story like this, didn't he? We read it just a moment ago, the parable of the dishonest steward. And many wish it weren't in the Bible because it offends those of us who want to see life as all white or all black. It offends those of us who lack a sense of humor, who don't appreciate a good story. Those of us who are like that, well, we struggle with this parable. We struggle because we cannot deny that the chief character Is a rogue, a thief, a rapscallion? The story is simple, unusual. A man gets his pink slip from his employer because he has mismanaged the farm. You see, his back is against the wall. And sometimes when people are cornered, well, they just do strange things. He was trying to save himself. And I understand very well when he says, I'm too weak to dig and too proud to beg. And he was too old to go to seminary and preach. (laughs) Therefore, he was in dire trouble. If he didn't figure out something very soon, well, he would starve. After some thought, this is what he did. While he was still in authority as a manager, he made very several quick, very shrewd decisions. He began to make calls on his master's debtors. Prudently, he forgave them large portions of their debt. I once worked with a bishop who loved and told us to exceed her authority. That is what our shrewd manager did. He had no authority to do this. He did it anyway. By easing the burden of debt on his boss's clients, he was currying their favor. So that when the ax finally fell, he might find somewhere safe and prosperous to land. At this point, their parable abruptly ends. Jesus, in telling the story, remarks that the master, when he discovered what his steward had done, commended him for a shrewd tactic, the shrewd tactic that he devised to save his own skin. And herein lies the problem for us in this parable. Look around. What I see, and I hope what you see, is a beautiful meeting house. We hear the choir sing. We know that we are in a church. We are respectable people here. We don't commend people for stealing or for acting in such a dishonest manner as this fellow. We are Christian, and we know how to deal with sinners. Well, we chastise them and drum them out of the fellowship. For, you know, if someone steals once, they will again. And we can't live like this in a safe society by making heroes out of cheats and liars. Why, we ask ourselves, why would Jesus tell a story like this? We're in church. The pews are bolted to the floor. (laughs) Everything is in its place. And by golly, that's what we like. We come here to find some place in our world that is safe, secure, fixed, and we pray eternal. In church, we expect to hear stories about how people follow the rules, how people do what is expected of them and get what they deserve. We don't expect to hear our Lord commend a thief for his savvy. Well, it just isn't right. The moral majority won't stand for it. So, what is Jesus trying to tell us? Don't you know it must be something surprising and unusual? Could Jesus possibly be saying to us, in this parable of the dishonest steward, that perhaps, maybe, we are saved by grace. Because isn't this a story about us? Certainly, this is not an example of how to live, because most of us have already figured that out. We may not blatantly steal, lie, or cheat, but if we compare our lives in the light of Jesus' life We know we're not acceptable. And yet, amazing as it is, God accepts us. I think of another Bible story. It's in John's Gospel, the eighth chapter. It happens in the temple courts where Jesus is that day teaching when a group of Pharisees and teachers of the law interrupt him by dragging before Jesus a woman caught in the very act of adultery. And following the custom of the day, she is stripped to the waist as a token of her shame. She's terrified, defenseless, publicly humiliated, and she's cowering before Jesus, I'm sure with her arms covering her nakedness. That's my understanding, although I am a pastor, I don't know about all these things, that adultery is not a singular act. (laughs) But it's only the woman who stands before the Lord. The accusers want Jesus to judge her. They want her stoned for her sin. And it's a trap. It's a clever trap laid by the Pharisees. Because you see, Jewish law requires that a woman caught in adultery be stoned to death. While the Roman law forbids the Jews from carrying out executions. So, what will Jesus do? Will he obey Moses or Caesar? Everyone is watching. With bated breath. The air is heavy with tension. And then Jesus does something totally unexpected. He does nothing. He bends down. Writes in the sand. No one records what is written. Maybe he's writing down the sins of the Pharisees. No one knows. But he does nothing. Except write. In the sand. Finally, he speaks to the crowd. He says, you who are without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone. Slowly, the crowd melts away until all that is left is Jesus and the woman cowering before him. Woman, he says, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, she says, and neither do I go and sin no more. In a way, this story in John is as scandalous as the parable of the dishonest steward. And it's hard for me not to identify with the accusers rather than the accused. Because I cloak my sin in respectability. Yet, in this story of the woman caught in adultery, this sinful woman is near the kingdom of God. And we must become like her. Not in her sin, but in her contrition. She stands before Jesus, trembling, humbled, without excuse, open to receive grace and forgiveness. We come here into this beautiful church thinking that we are respectable, that we are the righteous. We come thinking that the kingdom of God is about getting the rules right, obeying the law, and behaving like society expects us to behave. We come thinking that we have it right. And then we hear Jesus tell a rather confusing story about a rogue who is not respectable at all. A shrewd manager, socially unacceptable. He's a thief, he's a liar. And Jesus commends him. What is Jesus telling us? This one who broke the Sabbath law, this one who ate with sinners, this one who was not accepted by the acceptable, this one Jesus. What is he telling us? Could it possibly be that he wants us to know that he came into the world incarnate in the flesh to save sinners, Like us? Part of our problem is that we don't take sin very seriously. A court-appointed attorney was assigned to a client who had been accused of criminal trespass. And the lawyer, trying to find out more about his client, began to probe him with questions about his background, and one question he asked was, do you have any prior arrests or convictions? And the man ashamedly said, yes, sir, I have quite a few. The lawyer asked him, any felonies? And the man replied indignantly, no, sir, I specialize in misdemeanors. Doesn't that sound like us? We know in our minds that we are sinners, but we think we specialize in misdemeanors, not in felonies. In our minds, our sins are all small ones. Ours, we think, are excusable sins. But is there such a thing as a misdemeanor sin? We pride ourselves that our sins are not as blatant or as as this dishonest steward. They're not as, as blatant as the woman caught in adultery. But can we deny our sin? Isn't sin an attitude of the heart? We may have never been provoked enough to physically strike someone or been tempted to cheat on our spouse. But sin is sin is sin, and we're all sinners. And Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Even on the cross, after we had taken his life and nailed him between two thieves, he looked down and commended us, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why did Jesus tell such a scandalous story as this one about the dishonest steward? Maybe, perhaps, he knew that it would take a bit of disrespect to get the attention of respectable sinners like us. I have a seed in my pocket. This seed must only be put in the ground by a person who has never stolen or taken anything that didn't belong to him or her as a thief. I can't do it. Is there anyone here, anyone, who can plant it? I can't. Can you or you or you? But you see, we can. We can plant the seed. Because even if we are a thief or a liar or an adulterer, in Christ, we are forgiven. We are saved by grace. And this is why, this is why grace, this is why grace, well, this is why grace is so amazing. Will you pray with me? We thank you most merciful God for your love which goes beyond any of our misdeeds. We thank you for your acceptance, and we pray that you'd help us. Help us, oh God, to accept our acceptance. Amen.